Hey there, this is the Spotlight on Grace podcast, where we're focusing on what's happening at Grace Church and how God's grace is making a difference in our lives. I'm your host, Burr Bolton, Pastor Tanya's co-hosting today. Hello. And Pastor BJ is here with us today. He is. For, Hello. Yeah, for season three, episode 18, Yep. where we're talking about a book of the Bible that we covered early on in the journey. Well, we're still early on in the journey, but we but we're moving are. along really fast. We really are. And that was the book of Job. Yes. And I, BJ hasn't said this, but I've decided he's the newest Job scholar. Because oh. <laughs> I asked him to teach this three-week class, and he like dove in. And now he wants to do podcast episodes yeah. and all sorts of things about So we're going to kind of intro yeah. things today, and then BJ's going to come back in here on his own. And do some more recordings, and we're just going to unleash him to do whatever he wants to do. Oh, no, that's scary. They have given me the keys. Everybody buckle up. Okay, well, first, let me ask you this question. Do you like the book of Job? Do you like it? Well, like, why are you suddenly interested in wanting to do a deep dive into it? Um, Tanya told me to. It was to. a task to be accomplished. <laughs> yes, it was a task to be accomplished. To- <laughs> well, it was one of those things, too, that when I started like looking and asking people, I'm like, hey, what do you have on the book of Job? What have you done on the book of Job? Everybody's like, um, you know, I've been a pastor for 30 years. I've never done the book of Job. And I'm mm. like, what are you, what? Nobody's done this? And um, not to like point any fingers about people I called, but one of them's the current DS. And he's like, I've never called the book of Job. <laughs> Um, and didn't we have some people here who had who going into reading it, they were like, uh, Job. Mm-hmm. Yes. But then, like after your class and after we read it and had had some conversations about it, they were like, okay, I have a new understanding. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. think there's, there's I do some feel like here. Job was one of the things that we've read so far that there was a lot of buzz and talk about around mm-hmm. the church. Like it was one of those either people hadn't read before or they just kind of passed through it quickly not seeking to understand right. because yeah. it was just they just had to get through it but or they wondered why we put it with genesis which yes. we'll talk about in a yeah. second yeah and so yeah i feel like there was a lot of talk around job um when we were reading it as a church yeah. so yeah good yeah so. it, it's it's a really exciting book it's probably it, it's really it's, it's <laughs> suffering is exciting it's not i'm not saying suffering is exciting <laughs> the the it's just a great literary work um it's very theological very philosophical um probably one of the you know best books ever written if you really take the time to uh actually read it and be challenged by it yeah Um, it's literally considered like the i ended up leading that first night of your job class because you guys weren't able to be here and i remember saying like this is literally considered one of the greatest literary masterpieces of all time and i like i think some people's jaws dropped yes but it's really true it, it like really it ran, is ranks and up there with like the odyssey and yes things i've never read oh, oh I love well that odyssey. makes sense because bj loves bj loves those so like that yeah. makes sense why he would that's like that's where Joe. it ranks in yeah. world literature yeah yeah i mean it's truly a book without an equal um so what I mean, are some reasons us, for that tell us tell us why Tell us why it's a book without equal. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, Give us a little bit of the history. A little bit of the history. Okay, let's talk authorship first. Okay. That way we, um, the author of this book is actually unknown. <laughs> so we don't know who wrote it. Yeah. Um, what we can kind of come up with is he was an Israelite, even though we never hear any language, any anything that this is the Israelite people. Job's not an Israelite. His friends are not Israelite. Mm-hmm. Lehu's not an Israelite. None right. of these people are actually written as Israelites. But we we know that he, the author had to be an Israelite because he uses the divine names of of God. Of, he uses Yahweh. 
Um, he uses El and Elohim and Shaddai in the writing, mm-hmm. and those would have been Hebrew words for right. um, God. So probably written for a Hebrew audience or Israelite audience. Yes. But not necessarily but about not an necessarily Israelite. about an Israelite. So that's an interesting piece because most, when, most of the time when we're reading Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, it's about the Israelites. Right. Um, so and, this story happens outside of the historical kingdom of Israel. Yes, which puts it in the wisdom text mm-hmm. genre. Right. For And when we look at wisdom texts, especially in Scripture, we're looking at uh, Job, Proverbs, um, Ecclesiastes would be yeah. wisdom literature. Um, Song of Songs is wisdom mm-hmm. literature. And then... Um, it's not poetry? Song of Songs is poetry, but some consider it wisdom literature, which yeah. also Psalms... Is considered poetry, but some people consider right. it wisdom. I literature. think there's some overlap between. Those there's a lot of overlap in between there. Most people would just list uh, Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes as wisdom literature and leave out the others. Gotcha. Um, but depending on the smart person or theologian you're talking to, they may yeah. differ yeah. that. And there's so, little pieces of wisdom literature throughout Scripture yeah. too that are so, parts of bigger right. books. Right, and well. we're not completely sure who wrote it, but you think. Multiple authors had a hand in it, right? Yes, I am definitely I definitely fall under the idea of multiple authors, and and my reasoning behind that is if you look at the epilogue and the prologue, um, you see anytime God is mentioned, it's it uses Yahweh, where the middle section then um, it always uses El Elohim or Shaddai. Um, so it's a different name for God used in the prologue and the epilogue versus the middle piece, which is the middle piece is also more poetry um, written in more of a poetic way than the epilogue and prologue. So right. you think that means that there were different authors? I think it points towards a different author. So like working together to come up with a piece or one just picked up where one left off? One picked up where one left off is oh, my okay. Is, and I, is my thought. And there's some other things that I'll kind of get into here in just a little bit when we talk about, like, the date that it was written. Mm-hmm. Um, because there is some, you know, different thoughts there as well. Yeah. Um, uh, we were saying, BJ and I were chatting a little bit before we started recording, and we were saying how, like, I remember even younger, and sometimes you hear people say, well, how did they know so-and-so wrote this or so-and-so right. didn't mm-hmm. like Paul gets credit for this book how do you know it wasn't Paul or why do they think it wasn't Paul he's his name's at the end of the book you know but the truth is when you read even like and I mean this very sincerely even when someone as simple as I read through the books in the in the New Testament per se you know you can you get a feel of someone's voice in their sure. writing yes. and you can tell a huge difference between the things that Paul wrote and say Peter, you know, first and second Peter, um, you you hear someone's voice, and so for the people who study this for their living, you know, they recognize this. And like yeah. I said, even we common folks, yeah. as we're reading, we if you pay attention to like you're saying, BJ, the words they use for God, those things point to some editing that took place over time. And so I think it's just a great reminder that the Bible didn't fall out of heaven mm-hmm. <laughs> in its current form, but God has worked through people along and along. Uh, to give us to give us his story. Yeah, uh, a couple of other things about the author or auth- authors here is they were extremely intelligent. Mm-hmm. Um, there is Job has one of the richest vocabularies of any book of the Bible. Just yeah. the different um, usages of language in there, and I'll cover a little bit of that as I when I start doing kind of the walkthrough of each right. um, 
chapter that you see some of that, just the riches of the use of language. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like when you read like a really smart person's book and you're like, I, have to, I had to Google half the words to know what he was talking about. I mean, yeah. that's kind of um, what's going on there. And then um, um, I make the assumption that the author probably, you know, the main author, whoever that was, probably that main piece, probably experienced some level of suffering in his own life. Um, I mean, who wants to write about suffering? Right. It had to be someone who had experienced quite a bit of suffering. And um, and, and this isn't the only story about <laughs> suffering from the ancient world, right? No, this is not. There are actually multiple stories that are very similar to Job. They're actually older than the book of Job. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we're, we're I'm making the assumption that the author of Job knew about these other wisdom texts as right. well. Um, and some of those other ones kind of include... Um, there's the uh, one from Sumerian, and it's called A Man and His God, um, which is very similar to Job. Uh, there's an Akkadian version. Which, there's actually two Akkadian versions. Um, I Will Praise the Lord of Wisdom and the Babylonian Theodicy are both written before Job, but kind of talk about this same idea of the suffering servant, mm-hmm. I think is kind of the language used a lot of times uh, on that, or the innocent sufferer would be another kind of fits within this realm. And there's also a couple of Egyptian texts uh, as well. Um, one over a dispute over suicide is the is one of those. And then the protest of the eloquent peasant is another. And there's multiple others um, from the ancient Near East that really um, take on this same subject and this same story in a sense. Right. Um, yeah. So Sandra Richter in the Epic of Eden, she when she's talking about there are lots of flood accounts in history, mm-hmm. Um, but she says what matters for us as Christians is to take the account of Noah and our, our theological interpretation of it. So if we consider there's all these different stories out there, BJ, um, but if we take the version that landed in, in our scripture, um, what, let's turn a little bit now to what it means to us. Like what do we learn from it? What do we take away from it about the nature of God, the nature of the universe, the nature of suffering. I think those were three of the things that you highlighted. Um, so what would you point out as we interpret that? Because that's really what matters. Like, what is God showing his people? What are some of your takeaways based on that? Yeah, like you said, there are, like the, there are major theological themes in the book of um, Job. And, you know, like you said, what is the nature of God? We see that in the book of Job as, as God is there. Um, obviously God is there with his, his counsel, his, um, who I will call the examiner and I'll explain that later. And that's the, um, the Satan character, um, who is traveling back and forth between God and humanity and examining, um, the people. And you kind of see what, you know, where is God involved in everything? You know, is he, is he sitting, you know, we talk a little bit about where is God in our current life? Is he just creator and he spun everything and made it into existence? Or is he creator and he's still creating and being involved? Um, you know, people have different views of God, and we'll talk about that a little bit um, as I dive down a little deeper. But, um, but also the nature of the universe and the nature of um, our world. You know, you know we, we as Wesleyans see our world, and our world is, is broken. It's, you know, there's a... You know, a sin from our original parents that has created in us something that's not. Yes, we are created in the image of God, but that image is a little broken because of the brokenness of the world. Yeah, and um, the fall didn't just affect humanity. 
Right. It literally affected the whole world. Yeah. Creation. And creation mm-hmm. is a whole. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, you know, creation is not what it was originally intended to be. Mm-hmm. It will be one day. Yeah. Which is Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you know, what's the nature of suffering? You know, I think sometimes we and um, we think of, you know, I'm suffering, God must be doing this to me, but there's a lot of reasons for suffering. And, and I'll kind of walk through a lot of those, even though I won't be able to walk through all the reasons. Um, I know we, me and Tanya talked a little bit about earlier about all the reasons. You know, sin's one. Sometimes God is testing us um, to help grow our faith. You know, sometimes disasters just happen. Right. As part of the broken world, yeah. our own bad choices. Yeah, our own bad choices. Some other people's bad, bad choices. choices. Yeah, um, and we see that in Job with other people's bad choices of the the tribes that come in and kill everything. That wasn't a choice made by Job. That was right. God didn't ordain it and right. say and make yeah. it happen. In that case, we would um, say, you know, so that's that's kind of some of the major theological themes that we'll talk about, um, you know, but. I think it goes back to if you're reading Job as I'm trying to understand everything, I want to understand. Like I'm going to master the I'm text. I'm going to master the text. You have, like, you're greatly outweighing your capacity <laughs> to be able to understand. We're never going to understand all of God. Absolutely We're not. We're never going to be able to understand um, all of the universe or understand all of why suffering happens. Right. And, you know, that's kind of where God leaves Job at the end is, do yeah. you know what I know? Do you know everything about the crocodile and the hippopotamus? Mm-hmm. No, yeah. but I do. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not yeah. going to be able to know that. And right. and who wants a God they can comprehend? Right. Yeah. Well, and so many times I think, too, like, even if God had given Job an answer, which he certainly didn't owe him one because he's God, um, would it have even been worth it? You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, how many times have you been through something, and if you had have gotten the answer of why this happened, right. would it have made it any better? No, no you yeah. still would have went through the suffering. Yeah. Um, and so, to me, what I love most about Job as a simpleton <laughs> is that God is with him. Yes. Like, rather than why did this happen or, you know, explaining, you know, why suffering happens, it's more important to me to know that even though it's happening, God's with me. Right. And we talk about that in grief share, you know, because a lot of times when, when someone has died in particular, um, you want to know the why. Mm-hmm. But the thing that they say that's so important is it wouldn't it wouldn't fix your broken heart. No. You know, as much, and, and it really wouldn't solve the problem. It wouldn't Mm-mm. fix anything. Right. We think we want to know the answer to that question. Right. But it really doesn't fix anything. So, therefore, knowing that, let's learn to look at the fact that hey, my God is still with me in this suffering, Mm -hmm. and what should my response be in suffering? Because I think that's where Job leads us. Yes. I think that's what we talk about. So, BJ, you wanted to give us a little more information on um, a lens through which we understand things that we go through because our feelings are not always true. Right, yes. Sometimes our feelings mislead us. As Wesleyans, we have a tool that we can work on, and then you've got a couple of questions to lead us to after that. Um, so I, you know, I, I started off on the Wednesday night class and talking about our just our theological understanding. How do we understand Scripture and is, um, and theology being just is is the understanding of God and religious belief. That's all theology is. Um, and so I, I started off with the question to everybody: What are the ways that we come to understand God and to understand our beliefs? And you you, you get a wide range of questions or answers. I'm sorry 
<laughs> that was the question. Um, and um, and so I kind of, you know, let everybody kind of answer, and most of them were around some of the same things, Scripture, you know, what you learn in church, what you learn from other people, what your experiences were in life. You know, most most people kind of stayed around that realm. And, and so um, for those who are in the room that kind of know some of our tradition, I, I mentioned the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And they're like, oh, some people are like, I know that. And some people are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it comes from John Wesley. John Wesley did not invent the Wesleyan quadrilateral. That wasn't until the 1960s. And Albert Outler came up with this. Hey, from studying John Wesley's theology, we have the Wesleyan quadrilateral, which is um, scripture being number one, which is our normative source. So that's the norming. That's our foundation. That's the, the foundation. of everything, yeah. yeah. It has and to line up with Scripture. Right. It has to line up with Scripture or it's just... Uh, hogwash. Hogwash. <laughs> yeah, I think of a better word. I, I was going to say heresy, but I like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I like hogwash. hogwash way better. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the second one is tradition. Um, and so there, that is kind of our interpretive source. Um, we're not going to you know, take something from Scripture... And just say, you know what? I'm going to throw away the last 2,000 years of right. tradition right. and take my own opinion of it because those 2,000 years have a lot to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we think about tradition, I think about um, how the church, not just your local church or one church, but how the church as a whole body of believers has moved and interpreted that interpreted that like you said over the years is that yes. what yes. we would think yeah. about that like yeah, that's and, exactly, it, and it's yeah. changing and evolving yeah. and right but we don't just throw it all yeah. out right. with right. one sudden right. knee-jerk reaction right. and not right. just my feelings so right. like that's, that's more yes. like we were saying that changes as it evolves so to speak but not as quickly as my own individual feelings right and because so that could I, change from moment to moment yeah yeah, yeah. um and then you have reasoning uh, which is kind of the ordering source. So you've got to use your reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, um, I, I like to use the example of, you know, if Scripture says the sun's going to rise, well, we can reason that the sun doesn't actually rise because we know something's a little different, which kind of goes back to which goes back to this idea that, you know what, our understanding of theology changes over time. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, the and I'll hit this in the book of Job is... is um, when it's talking about the Satan, the view of Satan by the author of Job is different than the view of Satan in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. It's not the same thing, and we'll talk about that a little bit as we go a little deeper, because we like to take what we know in the year 2023 and try to put that back on what the author meant. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't really do that because the author was in a different time. You yeah. know, if I right. said, hey, here's a cell phone, right. you know, the they wouldn't know, know, they wouldn't know what that, that is. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. going to look at us like we're crazy. Right. And the um, Jewish understanding of yes. the Satan or an adversary yes. or the prosecutor or the examiner is different right. than even what Jesus would have been referring to right. in the New Testament. Yes. So that's something fun um, to dig into yeah. for sure. Yeah. And, uh, Burr, you had mentioned in the Wesley and Calvinism podcast episode just about the theology just sounds like a big word, but it Why matters it matter? <laughs> because what we believe affects how we behave mm-hmm. and how we see things. And I think that is so true. And... Um, Yep. Not to, not to say anybody's right or wrong, but I think we need to be careful in how we understand God. And yes. and we talked in that particular um, session about seeing God through the lens of love mm-hmm. versus, you know, a God of sovereignty. And so even if you take those two lenses and you bring it and you lay that on top of the book of Job, 
Right. Yes. Well, if God is is a sovereign God, then He's caused every one of these bad things, and yep. He, you know, He yes. made it happen. And Job's just a pawn, and his friends are just a pawn, and da 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 da. But if God is a God of love, then God is with Job in this terrible suffering he's experiencing. Mm-hmm. That comes about for whatever reason it happens in yeah. life, and that yeah. changes. That changes. Yeah. How you see it, right? You know. Yeah. Very important. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Even though we're just a, sl- a hair off, <laughs> it makes a huge difference right. in the way you look at things. Right. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it does matter. And yeah. the, I feel like well, in the hope that you have and how you feel about God, like, are you, yes. do we point our finger back at God? Like, yeah. we don't even have the right to do, speaking of the book right. of Job. <laughs> yeah. Or do we say, God, this is terrible and it's awful and I'm suffering, but I'm leaning into you mm-hmm. and I know that you're here with me. Right. You know, same yep. story, same two story. different lenses. Yes. yes. But that's why your theological understanding yep. matters. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Very so, much so. Yeah. So when we come to that, BJ, oh. based... Oh, you've got, I got one a more. different version. Oh, well, you didn't finish that. The rest of the quadrilateral. Oh, yeah. yeah. The experience piece. Yes. Because quad so, is four. Yeah. yeah. Quad is four. So, <laughs> right, <exactly>. so scripture, <laughs> right. tradition, reason, and experience. Because our experience plays a part of who we are and how we view the world. Right. Um, and, I, you know, if you think... I think a lot of people have a hard time going, well, I'm unbiased. I'm like, no, we all have biases. Yeah. And um, it's it's okay, just but but name those biases. We understand, you know. Here's here's the way I'm going to read scripture. It's based on my tradition, my reason, my experience. Here's here's what I'm reading into it. And I think, and I'll talk a little bit about this about when we talk about God as Creator. Um, how you view creation may differ from how I view creation, and that may play a part in how you view the world right. and live in the world. Right. Um. So. But uh, the Wesleyan quadrilateral, Albert Atler actually came to not be very happy with what he wrote about that. He actually didn't think that it fully explained everything. Um, and then, I'm not sure on the year on this, but uh, Paul Chilcote, who is, I could be wrong, I think he's a, I think he's a professor at Cambridge right now. Um, or was a professor at Cambridge. But he was explaining the Wesleyan quadrilateral to a class. And using a baby mobile, kind of to explain that. And he had a student actually say, well, wouldn't a wind chime make more sense? And so um, out of that uh, comes the uh, Wesleyan wind chime, which mm-hmm. I think is a better representation of, of, of Wesley and his theology. And if you've ever seen a wind chime, it has several parts. The first part is the bass. Um, which would that be scripture? which would be scripture. So whatever is holding the wind chime, whether it's you're hanging it up on your house, your house would then be the base. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a picture of a wind chime that's actually got a little metal base yeah. that's holding it's on it. A stand. It's on a stand. It supports everything else. It supports else. everything else. It holds the central place of everything. Um, and then you have, typically, a wind chime has three chimes on it. So, And those three chimes would be the tradition, the reason, and the experience. Each chime is independent of each other. Each chime has its own voice, yet they're also connected to the whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they sound better together. But they sound better together. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it requires a ball to kind of there's there's the wind chime with the ball in the middle that kind of clings off of each of those three, and those ball it's it's the community of faith. It's the church. But there's there's still one thing missing because it cannot make a beautiful sound without wind which would be the Holy Spirit moving through all of it. Yeah, that's and really good. So I, I really like that more than, you know, 
um, you know, going to classes and everything, it was always the Wesleyan quadrilateral yeah. was the thing you learned. You learned about the three-legged stool and all of those things. And I'll talk about those a little, a little more in depth. But, but to me, just the the idea of theology is is more than just the scripture. But it's required. The scripture is required mm-hmm. yeah. for it, and is the normative source or the foundation or the base. Yeah. Um, but we also have to play in part the tradition, reason, experience, and our current church, our current community of faith, yeah. and how the Holy Spirit is currently moving and understanding all of that. So when you when you have that understanding of, okay, this is how we think about things related to the Bible, this is how we think about theology, then you can approach questions knowing they need to come through the filter of those things. Yes. And so what were kind of the two main questions that so, you pulled out of Job? So for me, the interpretation, there's two universal questions that I think the author seeks to answer. And, and these answers provide um, the means for critiquing the traditional wisdom theology, um, I believe. Um, the first question is, why do we serve God? Um it's pretty early on we, we see the examiner coming back to God saying, well, the only reason Job is serving you is because you've given him everything. You've made him wealthy. That's the only reason he's right. serving you. And we kind of see that play out. Mm-hmm. And we see that's not the case. Yeah. Um, but why, you know, that, I think that's a question we should all ask ourselves. Right. Why do we Because you were God? saying earlier, a lot of times in recent church history, it's been like, get your fire insurance, like, right. you know, turn or burn kind of mentality, or come to Jesus and life's going to be sweet and peachy keen right. all the time. Yes. And neither one of yeah. those is an accurate, it's none, neither one of those really lines up with scripture. Neither right. one of those really right. goes with, you know, history of the church and yeah. reason and all of those things. But it's something we in the West have taken on over right. the years is, hey, you know, turn or burn. Right. Or, you know what, just... Follow Jesus, you're going to have everything you want. Right. And I think both of those cause more people to have that's bad a harder theology. time than... Right, well, I mean, it, that's when people have the their crisis of faith, is when right. things don't line up with yeah. the way that they thought that it would right. because of what they were told, yeah. and then they why, di, why, why are they serving this? God? Right. It's yeah. exactly right. what you just said. Which actually leads into the second <clears throat> question, which is how can faith be maintained when life goes wrong? Yeah. Because if I'm, I, if I'm going with the idea that I'm... Um, Everything's going to be great because I'm following Jesus. When life goes wrong, I'm going to go, well, I guess that Jesus isn't real. Either Mm -hmm. Jesus isn't real or I messed up or I'm not good enough Mm -hmm. or he's mad at me or Mm -hmm. whatever those things Mm -hmm. are. And so we have. Or I'm mad at him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, we have to be taught. We have to be discipled so that we have a true understanding of scripture and of the gospel to know what this life is going to look like. Um, I, I hear that question and I think. How could I live this life without my faith? You right. know, I think right. about when the disciples said to Jesus. Who would want to walk through the difficult times without him? I yeah. can't even fathom it. And it's not because it's a crutch. Um, but or that he's going to rescue yeah. you every single right. time because mm-hmm. sometimes that doesn't happen. Right. But but, but the, you look back to the Bible. You look back to the heroes of the faith. You think about James saying, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. when you face trials of many kinds. And you, again, it's it's the scripture. It's the, it's the reason. It's all those things that go back and and tie in together it's brothers and sisters around us encouraging us and helping us and pointing to things that they've been through too so uh there is lots of good stuff in job and then bj you um you mentioned earlier when we were talking and i think this is just a fun little um pique your interest thing the the writer our writers of job weren't 
they weren't per se pointing to Jesus, but those of us who know Jesus can't help but look back at Job and what were the place or two where we where we know that we're like, ah, oh, this Jesus is ultimately who he's looking for. Yeah, I, I can't remember the the scripture piece in Job off the top of my head. I'm kind of scrolling my. You don't have to find the exact oh, I've, reference. Oh, I've got to find I'm sure the exact you'll get reference. To it. Oh, so, I'm sure you'll get to it in one of your later episodes. So Job is responding to one of his friends, and um, he, he actually says, and it's Job 9, and it's verses 25 through 35, but I'm going to kind of skip around. It says, I will forget my complaint. I will change my expression and smile. Even if I, that's verse 27, I'm going to skip to 30, and then 33. Uh, verse 30 says, even if I washed myself with soap and my hands with cleansing powder. Basically saying, even if I washed myself completely clean, it's not going to help anything. Mm-hmm. Anything I do, it's not going to solve the problem. And then and then verse 33 of chapter 9 says, if only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. Mm-hmm. And the author didn't know about Jesus. <laughs> no. We know what we, we know looking back, right. going, oh, and we think he's talking about Jesus. He's not even the author's not has no idea about Jesus. He's just he's, he's just asking stating a problem. He's stating a problem that Jesus actually some, fulfills. Yes. yes. <laughs> I love that so And much. so mm-hmm. I mean now there's, you know, a lot of theologians won't make don't make that connection. I like to make that connection. Mm-hmm. I'm like even if it's not that's not what he's talking about. Right. He knows there's an issue there and he we need that mediator. Right. right. Cuz there's nothing that we can do to cleanse ourselves of sin. Yeah. It's, it's been done by Jesus, but we still have to accept that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then over in Job 19, um, we probably heard the song, but he said, um, I know my, my Redeemer lives. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a couple yeah. of verses there, 25 through 27, that um, talk about, um, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. Um, how my heart yearns within me. And so there's a cry in the human soul for, for God, for Jesus, for the work that Jesus came to do. Um, and so I, I, I just think that's an, an awesome thing when we think about the whole story of God, yes. mm-hmm. how it ties in all together. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about something that was written most likely at least, you know, 1,500 years before Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, before he walked the earth. Well, before he walked the earth, <laughs> yes. I mean, if you want to get technical. If we want to get technical, he was there from the beginning. But <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, good. So, if you would like to um, nerd out with BJ on this Job journey. He's coming back to do more, Be watching for his own. Yeah, he's going to be dropping some things in as he gets them done. He's he's planning as he goes, and it may be three more episodes. It may be... Eight more episodes. Who knows? I try um, to keep them short, but there'll be way. but there'll be little bonuses, yeah. like that you yeah. can yeah. maybe through summer, maybe yeah, next fall that you can crunch on for a little bit. You said you're going to keep them short, BJ, because our I'm brains gonna, can only handle yes, so much. Only, yeah, our brains can only handle so much. My brain can only handle so much. So <laughs> I'm going to assume everyone so, else's brain is like mine. Yeah. That'll be fun. Keep digging into God's word; it makes a difference, and hopefully, it's transforming us from the inside out. That's yep, the goal. That is the plan. All right, listeners. Well, that was good. I hope you tune in more. Thanks, BJ, for stopping by. God's grace is sufficient for you.